0: No purchase necessary.
1: Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Tom Secker. His last name is spelled S-E-C-K-E-R. And his name came across my radar after interviewing and reading a book by Matthew Alford. title of the book is National Security Cinema, The Shocking New Evidence of Government Control in Hollywood. And you can go back and listen to that interview at William Ramsey Investigates. So that kind of made me want to reach out to Tom. i was been looking through his website, which has encyclopedic amounts of information on spy culture. And the title of his website is spyculture.com. And he is a British-based journalist, author, and podcaster. His specialties include the security services, Hollywood propaganda, censorship, and the history of terrorism. His writing and research has appeared in The Mirror, The Express, RT Salon, Newsweek, The Atlantic, The Independent, Harper's, Insurge Intelligence, Shadowproof, Tech Dirt, and elsewhere. He lives on the Lancashire coast and is a proud northerner, and his favorite spy is Eddie Chapman, aka Agent Zigzag, and his podcast is Clandest Time, not Clandestine, but clandestine T-I-M-E, and you can find that at his website under the heading of podcast on spyculture.com. But today we're going to talk about... An interesting really fascinating movie that was ahead of its time called enemy of the state so tom secker welcome to the show thanks for agreeing to the interview hey william thanks for having me so for people who may not have heard your background and you've done just tons of research your website is chock full of stuff can you kind of talk about your background what got you interested in kind of spy culture espionage and how what brought you to kind of uh your inquiry into enemy of the state um well there's a big broad question i guess um I mean, I'm British, I
0: grew up reading spy novels, I grew up watching spy movies, and in this culture country, it's a big part of our culture, um, to some extent it was British authors who kind of, not necessarily invented the spy novel, but certainly were a big part of turning it into one of the, the genres of the 20th century, and it was as I was reading these things and learning about their authors and realising just how many of these people were themselves either currently working with the intelligence agencies as they were writing these books, or so certainly there was a lot of intelligence veterans, you know, spy veterans, who were um, part of this world, part of the spy genre, if you like. And so, yeah, like, you know, you take someone like Ian Fleming, who worked for British Naval Intelligence and was very, very close to what would become MI5 and MI6, He not only wrote the James Bond novels, but he was also like a technical advisor, a consultant producer or something on the films. And that, you know, has become one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. And so it was looking into all of that kind of thing. And then I guess it was sometime in the mid 2000s, I picked up David Robb's book, Operation Hollywood, and that got me into the more military side of this sort of building out from the intelligence agencies to encompass other parts of the government as well. And I guess I've also just broadly speaking had a fascination with propaganda or at least how it is that art and culture inspires certain attitudes and ideas in people, how it encourages certain mentalities and so on. That's always been something I'm very interested in whether we're talking, you know, linguistics or semiotics or cinema or, you know, anything else. And so combining this stuff together it was sometime around 2012, I think, when I first started the website. And one of the inspirations was uh, Matt's work. I stumbled across that in the course of researching this. Of course, I did. Um, also, Trisha Jenkins' book, her first, the first edition of her CIA in Hollywood book, came out in 2012, 2013. And so I basically just kind of looked at all of this stuff and thought, look, there's clearly something going on here. There's something quite important going on here. Mm-hmm. It's a transatlantic and possibly global thing it's getting taken seriously by academics so it's credible the stuff you can get to here that's like credible source material and there was particularly around like the controversy around zero dark 30 you may remember the 2012 oscars and all of that um i thought there is also news value to this so why not put together a site that brings all of this stuff together that tries to get hold of all of this source material and just make it available to anyone, so whether it's researchers, academics, journalists, media people, or just random members of the public who are interested in propaganda and the government, they can access this. And also I can use all of that source material as the basis for podcasts and videos and articles and so on. And so that's what I did. Um, Mm -hmm. And the first iteration of the site, which was quite a basic version, I think, of the site, uh, went up late 2012, early 2013, and since then, the site's evolved. I've added, <laughs> as you can see, endless amounts of content. I have no idea actually how much content, how many different posts there are on there now. But like I say, there's podcasts, there's videos, there's lots of articles, there's all these document posts. You know, pretty much everything I've got, I stick up on the site. Although at this point, frankly, I have so much stuff, it's, it would take the rest of my life probably to go through it all in detail and actually you know, break it down into you know podcasts and articles and so on. But yeah, it's... Kind of, I wanted there to be a resource that people could go to to learn about this, and there wasn't such a thing out there,
1: and so I thought I'm just going to make it myself. Right, and you just have a wide variety of different topics, films, people, cultural analysis, so much of the stuff you talked about—three days of Condor, Goldfinger. If you're on YouTube, you can see a site and just tons of great information for somebody like me. Like I was looking through it over the last couple days, but. And then you have the podcast too and what kind of led you towards this this seminal film enemy of the state
0: well that was one that came up in the course of uh, researching the cia primarily because while the dod the military the u.s military the pentagon uh and to a certain extent the fbi have been up to this since at least the 1930s i mean in some cases even earlier The CIA didn't get formally involved in Hollywood until the mid-90s. And so one of the challenges has been to try and figure out what have they actually been doing since then? Because they're much more resistant to freedom of information requests and other typical investigative methods that one might use to try and establish some of this stuff. You know what I mean? And so digging into the CIA, among other things, we found that on the making of for the DVD for Enemy of the State... Will Smith actually talks about visiting CIA headquarters. And then it turns out it's actually listed on or was listed on the website of a man called Chase Brandon, who was the CIA's Hollywood liaison for about a decade from around 96 to 2006, give or take. And so we started. I mean, I started, we started. I guess all of us have been looking into this to some extent for a while Um, digging into this movie. And then it turned out some emails came out, again via a FOIA request, from the NSA that essentially revealed that the producers had had some kind of relationship with the NSA in the course of making this movie. So that's not just one major intelligence agency, it's two. And then I stumbled across an interview with Jerry Bruckheimer in... I can't remember. I think it was The Baltimore Sun because a lot of the film is uh, shot in Baltimore and set, in fact, in Baltimore. Um, And Jerry Bruckheimer said, yeah, yeah, we've sort of, we've been in touch with the NSA. Yeah, they kind of, they had a look at the script and they did ask us to make a change. And that major change was that instead of the surveillance on the Will Smith character being just a general result of the entire institution of the NSA, as it was in the script at that time. And if you go back and find these draft scripts online, you can confirm this. They said, no, 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 we want it all to be pinned on one like rogue bad actor, you know, one sort of psycho who just gets carried away and some other people around him who don't necessarily really know what's going on. So it's only really him that's guilty, not the institution as a whole. And this is quite a pattern that you see in spy films, intelligence films, even war films. It's like, who who's responsible for the war crime? Oh, it's just one rogue officer and a couple of people below him. It's not an institutional problem. It's not a problem of the culture within these institutions. It's not a problem of the very situation we've put them into. You know what I mean? Yes. So that change was made by the NSA. And like I say, I confirmed this by digging up old scripts of the film and finding out, Yeah, yeah, actually in the early drafts, it was kind of the NSA as a whole that were doing this, whereas in the final film, it's all essentially just John Voight's character. Right. So that's the sort of thing that can go on, that they can make fundamental changes to the characterization and the narratives
1: and hence the values and ideas and so on that are in these movies. And that this is like a super paranoiac movie because the, the, the Voight's agents are following him around in a white van with complete transparency into his technology, into the Will Smith character's technology, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: without getting too much into the plot of the movie, he's a lawyer and he stumbles across something that means the NSA or this small team within the NSA are targeting him. And, I mean, at the time, it was actually quite a shocking movie because I don't think people realized the extent of the NSA. I mean, most people probably didn't even realize the NSA existed. Most, I mean, prior to the early 70s, Pretty much no one outside of the NSA knew that the NSA existed. So even by the late 90s, they weren't a widely known agency. So there's that. There's the extent of the surveillance in terms of tapping his phones, his, you know, his, his bank accounts, planting bugs and cameras in his home, but also in particular, the satellite surveillance. They have those mocked up versions of like a surveillance satellite following him around. Um And I think a lot of people, certainly when you go back and you read reviews and other, you know, comments and things about the film, there's a lot of people who said, you know, this was really shocking at the time. We just hadn't seen this before. Now, why is it that people hadn't seen so much electronic surveillance before on the TV screens and in the movie theatres? Well, one of the reasons, actually, is the FBI because, like I say, they've been involved in Hollywood since the 1930s, and one of the things they're really sensitive about is electronic surveillance. They don't like depicting wiretaps and bugs and so on. And so any movie or TV show that worked with the FBI, who kind of dominated the American spy genre in the middle of the 20th century and towards the end of it, couldn't depict these things. They just wrote them out of the script. And so by the time Enemy of the State comes along, it's like this thing, this kind of stuff had been going on for decades, but... <laughs> right. most people didn't know about it so like i say it had this very shocking effect and so i i don't know i'm left wondering what was in it for the nsa and the cia why were they
1: working on this movie that kind of blew the lid off what they were actually up to um it's a good point mean, the movie came out in 1998 just so people remember so it was before a lot of exposure of how intense surveillance capacities were and was other whistleblowers right
0: well sure, sure. If you think a lot of this stuff came out post 9-11, all the warrantless wiretapping and then you've got various, you know, Thomas Drake, I guess Edward Snowden, others who've very much blown the whistle in some manner of speaking on this. And just as a weird thing, because I know you're into weird Hollywood stuff, um, well, so I think you'll find this quite entertaining. Think about the Gene Hackman character in Enemy of the State. He's called Edward. He used to work for the NSA, he lives in Baltimore, and he's running around, kind of avoiding the NSA, but also trying to use their secrets against them. Does that remind you of anyone?
1: It's it's Edward Snowden,
0: right? Yeah, basically. <clears throat> Snowden grew up in Baltimore. He went to Baltimore wow. Community College. All of this, you know, it fits in. Now, I don't know... <laughs> What on earth we make of that given that this film came out in 98 and at that point Snowden was like 15 years old or something? Um, right. but Hackman's
1: so, interesting too because he was in an earlier super paranoid surveillance movie called Conversation that I think was the early one for uh, uh what's the Italian guy's name who directed The Godfather? Do you ever see The Conversation? I have seen The Conversation, of yeah. And in many ways, Hackman's character
0: in Enemy of the State is like the older version of the character he plays in that movie. Um and there are scenes, there's the scene uh, where Will Smith and his, um, it's like the lawyer that his, he used to have an affair with, and he meets up with her in a park, and the whole thing's yeah, being surveyed sounds... by the NSA, that's based on a scene in the conversation, when you listen oh, to it on the, on the DVD commentary, he says, you know, we basically ripped off this sequence oh, yeah. almost shot from the conversation, it's, it's like an updated homage to that film. But yeah, that's one of those great 70s paranoid conspiracy thrillers. Um I really, I really love those movies. I love that whole genre of film. So. Yeah.
1: And yeah. who was the director? It was the guy who directed The Godfather, right? It was uh what's his name? I can't remember. But yeah, no, that's a that's a classic. But there I mean the other thing, do you know that there's like a hidden 9/11 in The Enemy of the State? Like I think that the Edward character like was born on 9/11. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, it's in his, his passport or his birth certificate or something, something is
1: mentioned. Yeah, yeah. But there's all kinds of references to real world. Uh, Tom, there's other references to world world events because William Colby, the intro scene looks like the William Colby death, right? That he, he was found dead in a river in 1996, another intel guy. And it's almost like they picked that background. It may be somewhat
0: inspired by, shall we say, uh, what happened to Colby. I mean, there are other mysterious deaths in the water. I mean, you interviewed Matt. One of the things right. Matt and I have kind of dwelt on, only in a speculative way, because we can't really figure it out, is actually, um, especially with the the car being kind of rolled into the water, that's very actually reminiscent of what happened with Gary DeVore, the Hollywood screenwriter who oh,
1: disappeared, damn, right? murdered right. something, you know,
0: um, right. and his body supposedly turns up in this car in a river. That it never should have been in, and this is all happening around the time when Enemy of the State was being made. So whether there's a connection there, I simply don't know. But if you want to get into speculative weird Hollywood stuff, which some people do, The Enemy of the State has there's quite a lot to unravel. There is basically there really is. There really, I mean,
1: interesting people. Bruckheimer has a colorful background. Will Smith has a colorful background. I mean, there's a a lot of uh, curious. And those guys, all these guys who were like the followers, had very. It was the beginning of their career, right? Jack Black and some of these other people.
0: Well, I mean, when so it comes, comes to the director Tony Scott and the producer Jerry Bruckheimer, if you think back, their first probably big blockbuster, like the really big one that made them a name, uh, was Top Gun, which is, of course, another Pentagon supported film, in slightly the classic Pentagon supported film of the last, you know, our lifetimes, at least, anyway. Um, and so. Yeah, they went on, both of them went on to make films with all sorts of government agencies. But yeah, also, in terms of the cast, there were a number of relatively young people who, mostly playing like the, the NSA guys or the, what does he you call them, the ex-military cutouts. I mean, who actually talks like that? <laughs> Let's just get some ex-military cutouts. That's not how people talk in these agencies, trust me. I mean, that's what they do, but it's not like how they would say it. Um you know, all of those characters. There's um, the younger Boosie, not Gary Bootsie, uh Jake Boosie. Oh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: The, yeah. Yeah, like the special ops guys who's sort of running around kicking down the doors and things. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them in this, and it did sort of put them, not quite into the A-list, but made them blockbuster stars, established that they're blockbuster stars. Someone's just said they're Sean Penn is CIA. That's a curious one, because... I mean, he did star in a CIA-supported movie, Fair Game, about the whole Valerie Plame affair. And several years later was involved with the CIA's efforts to capture El Chapo, El Chapo Guzman, the, um, you know, cartel leader. And now he's off in Ukraine shooting a documentary, though I haven't actually heard anything from him for about three, four weeks. I don't know what Sean Penn's, you know, I hope he's still all right, to be honest.
1: (laughs) I was (laughs) curious. Yeah. I I mean, this is just a whole bunch of strange characters. I actually interviewed a guy. uh, His name is Robert Kerbeck, who grew up with Valerie Plame. And so he just interviewed her recently. They kind of uh, crossed paths again or whatever, reconnected. And so you can look up Robert Kerbeck's um, social media and you'll find his interview with Valerie Plame. So she's she's still around. So anyway, interesting. <clears throat> um, and th- th- this, a lot of this stuff was precursors. I read somewhere that some at the somebody at the NSA complained that it was too revealing, that the film was too revealing. Have you heard anything like that? Uh, yeah, there were some
0: concerns about this. When you read the NSA's internal emails that were released about the film, it doesn't only detail you know how producers went on a tour of headquarters and some other things that were you know obviously. 18 plus excuse me uh, obviously some kind of favors granted to them by the agency it also has quite a lot of their reactions in it um so yeah there were some people who were concerned that the because the, they actually denied the filmmakers permission to do like a flyover shot like an aerial of the building and so what they actually did was got a plane that went over the height of the restricted airspace and shot it from a very long distance, you know, long lens did, in order to yeah, get that shot of the NSA building. And people were concerned about this because they were like, oh, they might be able to read the, the license plates on the cars. And it's sort of, no, this is this is a Hollywood movie, not a spy satellite. Your satellites can read the license plates right. on the cars, but that's a camera in a helicopter or in a plane. It's, you know, their, their <laughs> technology isn't as good as yours. Um, but yeah, yeah, there were some concerns about sort of, is this either i mean there weren't that many concerns about it portraying them badly that was the thing and if you think like i say because of that script change the nsa as a whole doesn't come across that bad it is mostly just john Voigt and his merry band of young psychopaths so um yeah it was more a concern about are they showing too much are we revealing too much are we telling the audience too much about what it is that of what we do um and in fact it did lead michael hayden who, one of the few people to have been, I think, the only person to have been the head of the CIA and the NSA. Um, he embarked on a kind of PR campaign, if you like, after this, in order to try and help put the NSA out there in a friendly way. And, you know, he did interviews and other high officials within the agency did interviews. And, and you have to think back, given that the NSA probably had the most information the most intelligence on what on earth was going on in those years running up to 9 11 even more than the cia did and hardly anyone blames them you know the cia have got some flack the fbi have got a lot of flack no one really talks about the nsa in that particular mess and you have to wonder what on earth are they really up to i mean if that's a film that they helped to make and it portrays you know fairly blunt terms especially for 1998 and ultimately they kind of they were okay with it it's like what are they really doing how how
1: dark are they really you know you know what i'm getting at yeah oh yeah very dark i mean i think that somebody was the the nsa whistleblower the most recent one i can't remember his name offhand but he said that the nsa got all of the supreme court's information and was blackmailing them Right, I can't remember his name. He's an older guy, kind of. I think he wrote one of the pro- software programs. If somebody is listening to this. Remembers his name, but he's been Bill on. Yeah Bill, Binney, yeah, Bill Yeah, Bill yeah Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: well, yeah, exactly. That's the kind of things these intelligence agencies are actually doing. And whenever when we actually see a film portraying those kinds of things. And not just some small, you know, low budget made for $3 $3 million and stuck out on Netflix kind of movie, but, you know, something big that shows in theatres and has big names attached. Then maybe that moves the needle a bit. But the question I'm always left with with Enemy of the State is once that initial kind of shocking feeling fades, is the effect of the film just normalisation? Does it actually make it seem like, okay, this is kind of disturbing and weird, but... If that's what they do, then that's what they do. And, and and you know, we're flooded in the news and the commentary act with all these arguments about, oh, well, who are you to make these sorts of judgments? You're not on the insides of these agencies. You don't know what they know. You don't see the threats that we face every day. And so a film like this very much fits into that dialogue and very much encourages people to think, oh, well, I mean, I just don't know how dangerous the world is. So isn't it good, in fact, that the NSA is out there dealing with this on our behalf so that we don't have to, so that we don't have to think about these things. We don't have to figure this
1: out. Yeah, leave it to us. We can handle it. We'll be your big brother. And, you know, don't think too much. But, I mean, some of the, the the payments, the NSA, I think, is bigger than the CIA or something. Like, their amount of money that they're receiving is considerable. I can't remember what it is, but they have huge databases. Oh, I mean, yeah,
0: the NSA is the biggest intelligence agency, as far as I know, certainly within right. the U.S. government. And it's a similar kind of story over here. GCHQ, our equivalent of the NSA, is the biggest of our intelligence. It's bigger than MI5, than MI6. It gets to the biggest proportion of that budget. I mean, in America, you can probably find out at least some of those numbers, or they will have been leaked somewhere. Over here, they just don't tell you. They kind of show you graphs, but they've scrubbed out the numbers. So it's like, why are you even showing me this? <laughs> They're so even more secretive over here than they are in America, trust me. But yeah, uh, there's an enormous amount of resource that gets put into this kind of eavesdropping, this kind of surveillance. It makes you wonder just how much have they swept up how much is on all these databases and on all these server farms and in fact right. how many of these server farms that pop up all over the place are actually being run by the government rather than being just used for you know everyday internet traffic like what we're doing
1: right excellent point I think during the Bush administration there was a release uh, a revealing release or whistleblower who said that behind the ATT server farms the government had server farms leeching off of all of that information i remember that was in san francisco i don't know if you remember that story but i don't recall that particular one but yeah it's that sort of thing
0: someone's just asked here who's behind the nsa who controls it actually it's technically part of the department of defense it's part of the pentagon it's like if you look on the organizational chart you have the different military branches army navy air force marine corps and what have you yeah it's basically
1: part of the dod right and i think that there's an in that area whatever somewhere in between dc in Baltimore, there is a huge NSA facility that's like a size of a college, right? Just huge buildings and totally secretive. I think that's the one that that Snowden worked in, right? Yeah, that's the one at Fort Meade. I can't remember whether that's
0: north of Baltimore or south of Baltimore. It's definitely in that whole, like, you know, that whole area that also encompasses bits of Northern Virginia. Basically all of the intelligence is there, Naval Intelligence, Marine Corps, CIA, FBI. They've all got their headquarters in that one, like little bit sort of tri-state area. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's kind of terrifying, really, to think. It's (laughs) terrifying. A few, you know, counties in northern Virginia and, you know, south of D.C. are kind of monitoring almost everything that's going on in the world, or at least everything that they can, everything that they can plug into. They're trying to keep an eye on it, and even if no human being is actually looking at it, they're still sticking the cable into a database and recording all this so they can go back and look at it later if they need to, if they feel like they want to. Good
1: point. Good point. So they can go back and look at people's histories and whatever, and all that stuff. And it reminds me, this movie Enemy of the State reminds me of the um, Matt Damon films, where like they're tracking him too, where they're trying to get real live data and information and going into the back of uh, video oh, cameras the, the, the and born trilogy. Yes, yeah, the born reminds me of born. The, the interesting. Well, they movie. too were supported by the CIA. So.
0: <laughs> <It> turns <laughs> out. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if you, this is actually a curious one, because in an interview, Chase Brandon, the guy who was running the CIA's office at that time, um, he said he had a look at the Bourne script, the one for the first one, the Bourne Identity, and he said it was so bad he tossed it in the burn bag after page 35. Wow. And yet, he appears on the special edition DVD in a bonus feature, praising the movie and talking about how realistic it is and how this is actually what CIA operatives are really like.
1: wow that's incredible it's incredible they
0: do just you know say oh no we didn't work on that movie and then you know 10 years later you get a document or something that proves that they did and it's like
1: right it's incredible and i I think the book that you wrote with alfred goes back in history and all these guys you know are involved h howard hunt's involved with orwell's reception here i think it was what the psychological impact of films was from the oss so they're aware of all that stuff going back 70 years. Easy.
0: Oh, so. yeah, certainly. I mean, actually, that memo from the <laughs> OSS is kind of a... It's almost a roadmap for what the CIA did in Hollywood for the next 30 or 40 years. And indeed, kind of the, the the policies that America adopted towards its own film industry. It talks about things in that memo, not just in terms of like psychological warfare, but also industrial terms. Like, how do we get our films into countries so we can project the desired imagery into their minds into the in, you know get these publics on our side in terms of soft power and cold war tactics and so on um and this is what they did they tried to hammer away all of those restrictions and any you know because a lot of countries have quotas on how many foreign films come, come in so they don't destroy their domestic film industry right. so because if all the theatres show is american films then you know Wherever Spain can't develop its own film industry because everyone's just going to see American films, and so they spent years, decades, really hammering away at those sorts of restrictions, and they're now facing this sort of problem with China, for example. China actually has quite a strict quota on how many U.S. films it allows in, and obviously has quite a uh, stringent censorship board. Let's say, um, for films coming into to be exhibited in China. And that's a serious problem for the industry. It's one of the reasons why you see lots of articles about it. But curiously, few articles about what the American government is up to in the entertainment industry, which is much larger than what China is doing. Trust me. I mean, I'm not happy about political censorship of films in China. I'm not defending that. I'm just saying if you want to talk government propaganda and censorship
1: in Hollywood, then we have to start with the American government because they're the biggest player. Right, and you know what's interesting about Enemy of the State is its, la- its legs, its-, its lasting power. People, it's still being re-shown and re all the time on TV. So it really, uh, I think it really struck a nerve or was impactful in that regard as far as a, kind of a spy thriller goes.
0: Well, Tony Scott did say he wanted to make something like a 70s conspiracy thriller, but with updated filmmaking and technology and so on. And if you think about it, has anyone made something of that type? That sort of really neurotic, high-paced kind of uh, surveillance thriller that's also an action film. Has anyone made anything that's good like that since then? I
1: don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. What was the one? Eagle's Nest, I think, was one. or I can't remember what. That was like one where you're in total surveillance state. Do you remember that movie?
0: Yeah, sure. There's that. There's um, uh, the Tom Cruise one from right. 2002. Yeah. Full... Right. A couple of others, maybe, but... That, that's what I mean, because no other film, I think, has really done quite what Enemy of the State did, or well, certainly not done it as well with such a big cast. Um, right. That's one of the reasons it has longevity. Eagle Eye. Thank you, Drone Dynasty.
1: Eagle Eye. Ah, um, yeah, Eagle Eye. Sure, an FBI-supported film. Wow, it's all there. They're just—they're yeah, yeah. just puppeteering the whole thing, man. They're just yeah, you're watching a bunch of marionettes about secret players behind, you know. And that goes into approval. I mean, in Simpson and Bruckheimer. Are notorious. I mean, Simpson, if you were... I mean, what was exposed about that guy who was Ruckheimer's uh, producing buddy? He was off the charts. I was off the charts. Simpson was really something else. He was basically like his own pharmaceutical guy. He had tons of drugs. And, uh, yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, Hollywood people do tend to be a bit kind of nuts. Um,
1: yeah. no, not. I
0: think that's one of the reasons why they're easy to yeah. manipulate, to be honest. Because I often get asked... You know, do people not push back against this? And to be honest, every once in a while, they do. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We
0: were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, You know, there are screenwriters who said, no, I'm not making these script changes. We'll go make the film without you if necessary. Um, But usually they don't. And it's because, you know, a lot of them are kind of soft. They don't care. As long as they get to be rich and live their lifestyles and get to get famous making movies, they're not all that bothered about what they're making. So if some government department turns up right. and says, no, you're not allowed to mention the CIA in this movie, they'll go, okay, we'll just call them something else. We don't care. It's no skin off our nose. We still make money. We still get to do everything else we're doing. So they just go along with it. Hollywood right. is actually sort of has this reputation for being quite, I don't know, political or something. But deep down, I don't think most of these people really care. I think they're kind of quite vapid narcissistic people and so they're easy to push around if whether you're a weapons manufacturer or product placement company or the department of homeland security you can get what you want out of them because as long as they get what they want out of it they really don't care right
1: No, it's a good point i mean and the other thing is if you have the government supporting you why not make their film because the films get made, they get green lit, and uh, you get in front of the camera. Like you have Ben Affleck right there on the cover of your spy culture thing. And there's a perfect example. He's he's had a privileged career doing all these pro America films, right?
0: Well, he won an Oscar for that movie. Yeah. You think someone like Ben Affleck wins an Oscar without doing something like that? So, and in fact, that. that image from that video that's him outside cia headquarters you can actually if you look in the background you can see just
1: a little bit of langley (laughs) which like i think you show in your book um national security cinema like that's a coveted thing that wasn't something that the cia was very amenable to is filming by them so the ability to film in front of that headquarters can tell you something would you agree with that well when you think
0: about all the different spy movies and tv shows and what have you that get made there there it's quite a competitive market it's quite a competitive genre right so how do you make yours stand out well usually the answer is so-called authenticity you make it feel like you're getting a real glimpse behind the scenes into this secret world that's what they're supposedly offering their audience and to some extent they are actually giving you that but it's sort of a version of that world that's been curated and edited by the people who actually live in that world. So um, make of that what you will. But this is why being able to film at a military base or CIA headquarters or FBI headquarters, it just adds to the luster and the production value of a movie. And it adds to, it grants it a greater credibility in the eyes of the audience. It's, it's all of these things. And these agencies know this. They know, it says sometimes in their document, you know, added production value. They know what it is that they're offering in exchange for, like I say, censorship and propaganda. And so, yeah, there aren't that many films. I get into it in that Ben Affleck video on my site. Um, First one was in the early 1970s. Then they didn't let anyone film there until Patriot Games, really, until in 1992. Um, There's maybe one or two others from the 90s. There's a couple from the 2000s. There really aren't very many um, in terms of people who've been granted that kind of access.
1: Right. Interesting. Tom, we're at about 33 minutes. Can you, are you available to take a few questions? Of course. Uh, Kill Bao asks, have you seen the film The Final Option? That was one of the first films to show the special air service in action. Have you heard of The Final Option? I don't think I have seen this film. No. Okay. Sorry? Uh, it's okay. Another one, Oswald asks, what does Tom Secker think of Ben Affleck starring in Sean Stone's biopic? Sean Stone's biopic. I'm assuming Ben Affleck will not have age from transhumanism once Sean is dead. (laughs) Um, What's Sean Stone's biopic, Oswald? I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is, Tom? um, I'm not sure what you're driving at there. No, no. Okay, there's another
0: biopic that may happen.
1: Yeah, you guys are. You guys got some good, uh, obscure questions. Um, Lee asks, "What do you think about the upcoming film Killers of the Flower Moon? Do you know what that's about?" Again, again I'm not familiar with this
0: this movie. People oh, need man. to give slightly more information.
1: These guys are done, seen. They're throwing curveballs today. This is. These are not uh, a soft one. Huh? Telepon is a good, Pelican Brief and conspiracy Theorist are both good films and both star Julia Roberts as Drone Dynasty. Anybody have any questions you could ask that? Uh, Tom could answer. I mean, I would definitely go oh, to his website. I,
0: mean, I have heard of this movie. Yeah, I'm I'm 90 sure this film was to some extent made with the help of the FBI, um, because they are very very protective of uh, any film that depicts J Edgar Hoover. Even now, even like decades after the man's dead, he holds such a sway over that institution, if you know what I mean. Because he was, you know, he was the head of that institution for the first right. uh, 40, 50 years of its existence. Um, yeah, the documents I've seen are very, uh, they're very very particular about how Hoover is portrayed. Um, even if we're talking like stuff he did back in the twenties and thirties, where you could say, "Oh, well, it was back then. It's world, you know, the world's moved on. Times have changed." It's still like, no. And so I think, yeah, Killers
1: of the Flower Moon may, may well be some kind of FBI propaganda movie. Interesting. And what, what do you? What can people see when they check out your podcast? Your podcast is. The title of it again is Clandestine. Clandestine. Yeah. Clandestine. I mean, and yeah, you in... can find
0: that on my site, on spyculture.com, and on all of those apps that are there on the screen for those of you watching, um, and a whole load of other apps, to be honest. I mean, if you just search for Clandestine on whatever podcast app or, or downloader or whatever it is that you use, it'll probably be on there. And they can find. I mean I guess quite a wide range of stuff I do sometimes do straight movie and book reviews but they're usually with some kind of covert ops or you know covert warfare psychological warfare theme I do quite a lot of analysis of the files and documents that we've got and you know go through the movies in quite a lot of detail and explain how this scene was changed to this and what they were trying to do with that and you know why they make these changes Um, there's a lot of just discussion of any, anything that films at Langley, basically, I, I watch and review and say what I think the CIA were getting out of this or look, where, where possible, look at the documents and and find that. Um, so all that kind of stuff. I've also done a series or a sort of sub-series within my podcast called The Alternative History of Al-Qaeda that looks at essentially what al- what was going on with Al-Qaeda between their founding in the late 80s uh, all the way up to 9-11 ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino
1: asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah ha! In my dentist's office.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Connected to the intelligence agencies, either working for them or being spied on by them or something like that. So it's quite a mishmash. It's quite a cross section of different stuff that you can uh, find in that podcast. And I try and, you know, the best episodes, one that was just flashing up there, things like the the Department of Homeland Security, I looked at how their Hollywood office works, but also in particular how this plays out in the movie about the Boston Marathon bombing, which is grossly misleading. And that film was supported by everyone. That had like military, FBI, local Boston agencies. I think Homeland Security also worked on that one. You know, that is like one of the most state-sponsored movies of all time. And it tells almost entirely misleading and in some ways quite kind of bigoted version of events there avoids all of the questions, all of the outstanding stuff where people are wondering well, hang on, what about the background of these Zanaevs who again, had relatives in the security services, were clearly to some extent being spied on by the security services it's, you know, the film avoids all of that well one of the reasons why it avoids all of that is because the very people who were doing all of this and who either screwed up massively or were up to something very evil and criminal were working on the movie so uh, the best episodes are stuff where you know you can tie all of that kind of thing together.
1: So there are a few of those. Awesome! So people can check out Clan time, and you can go for the links to whatever podcast uh, site you want to listen to it on at SpyCulture.com. So you can see all of other all of Tom's other outstanding research. Very. I was looking through it for the last forty eight hours. I was in awe at how much research you've done. Just incredible research. So really glad to have you on and share. Um, your insights into Enemy of the State. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap up? Well, just a quick plug, I guess, for
0: Theatres of War. I mean, you spoke to Matt about it, but we do have this documentary that is on the verge of release, uh, which kind of builds on what we did in National Security Cinema. And to be honest, goes beyond some of the stuff I've even got on my website, though obviously it doesn't cover everything that's on the site because then the documentary would be, you know, 50 hours long. Um, but, Yeah, yeah, it's coming out soon. So if you keep an eye on my site, spyculture.com, or you keep an eye on Matt's Facebook page, The Writer With No Hands, as soon as it's available, we're hoping it should be out. DVD, streaming, all of those different things very, very soon. And that is probably going to be certainly the best entry point. It's a great primer for this topic, but it also gets quite deep into some of the detail as well. So if you want to learn more about what the government is up to in Hollywood, especially the DOD and CIA go watch Theatres of War, As soon as it comes out, please try and get a copy, try and give it a watch and, and let us know what you think, because it's kind of the culmination. I mean, I, like I say, I started this website and this project nearly a decade ago, and it's finally got to the point where I've not only written two books on it, it's now there's this great educational documentary being made about it, which is really in-depth and entertaining to watch. So yeah, that's the thing that I really want people to see.
1: Yeah, let me know when that comes out. I will add it to the show notes of this. The, the documentary is Theaters of War, and it features your work. Also, it has uh, Matthew Alford in it. And yeah. I think it's Oliver Stone, too, right? Oliver Stone was interviewed for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Oliver Stone. Really interesting people. And your website, again, is spyculture.com. And the podcast is Clandestine, And the researcher and author is Tom Secker. Tom, thanks so much for your time.
0: Thanks for having me. All right.
1: Take care. Stay there. Stay there. All right. That was perfect. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at champacasino.com.